Welcome to the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. Hi, it's David Manti with Cannabis Equipment News. And with me today is Bella McCreary, owner of High Maintenance Trim Company. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about your company. Uh, How is it that cultivators are using your services? I'm good. So High Maintenance Trim Co. came about, uh, you know, several years ago when, you know, trimming is, is, uh, we're kind of the, we like to say that we're the business that you didn't know you needed. Some of our smaller cultivators, you know, harvest time can be, you know, either eight weeks, 12 weeks, some of them harvest weekly. So depending on how often you need the trimmers, um, it could be a little bit difficult to get the same trim team back again and again for each one of those harvests. People usually like to work, you know, full time. And so one of the challenges is getting those same people back. The way that we help them is we actually onboard the staff. We pay all of the taxes, all of the insurance, we train them. And so when they call on us to come in and help, you know, whether it's harvesting, trimming, bucking, we also do packaging. Uh, The team already comes in and they're trained. They know exactly what to do. If they need us for two days or two weeks, we, you know, we put them under contract and then we help them for as long as they need us. And then we go away until the next time that they need us. They don't have to worry about the onboarding, the HR issues, having to train them, keeping track of, you know, you know, uh, standards and you know, production goals. We take all of the headache away from them and try to make it, you know, as easy as possible for them. So tell me, what is the average size of a client's like uh, typical harvest that you're working on? You know, it's a little bit hard to, to answer that because everyone everyone's a little different. Some of them harvest, you know, they have a bunch of smaller rooms mm-hmm. and, you know, each one of the rooms might have, you know, 20 pounds, 40 pounds. And then we have clients that have a bunch of rooms and they harvest them all at the same time or have just big giant, you know, mega rooms. Mm-hmm. So every client is a little bit different. Some of the clients are 100% hand trim. They don't want, you know, we, I tell the trimmers, they're not just trimmers, they're trichome preservers because the client really wants the gentle hands, 100%, no machine trimmed. And then we have other clients that actually put it through the machine a little bit to kind of clean it up, sort it, and then they bring it to us to the final touch-up to make it look nice for the jar. So it's, you know, it's, every client's a little bit different. And so we kind of morph to whatever their, their process is. But sometimes, you know, they, they can call us in for... 15 to 20 pounds. And then we have some contracts, you know, we have some pretty big contracts here with some large dispensaries where they, they tell us, you know what, we're, we need you for 500 pounds. And once we hit the 500 pound mark, we're out until, until the next one. How, uh, so for high, for 500 pounds, how many people are you sending that to, to that facility? Uh, it's gotten kind of interesting with COVID now because space is an issue, you know, with social distancing. Um, a lot of people, not just, you know, the, the clients sometimes have, uh, you know, space issues with the trim room, but also I'm very sensitive to the fact that, uh, you know, I'm in the people business. So I'm bringing people into your facility. So I want to protect not just my workers, but also, you know, my clients. So it's it's usually in a, in a perfect world, I would bring probably 18 to 20. And right now uh, we're probably doing half that just because we want to make sure that everyone's got the space, Um, not just the space for the trim room, but there's also the break room and stuff like that. We want to make sure that, you know, we're not packing the the place with too many bodies right now. We're being very sensitive to that. But normally if I have a a very large one with 500 pounds like that, I would say, you know, 18 to 20 people would be good. We try to knock it out as quickly as possible so we can move on to the next client. So the, 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 the contracts are taking a little bit longer right now because of that. Okay. Um, you talked about staffing. Is that an issue that you're seeing a lot in the industry where, I mean, I hear a lot about upskilling people, turnover, uh, holding on to people. Um, you know, are you seeing that a lot with your clients that they're, you know, sort of struggling to hold on to people that are in these, posi- in these positions? 
Um, yes, I have actually have over the last year and for different reasons. I think one of them, you know, with COVID and people having the ability to, you know, stay home, self-quarantine and, and with the unemployment, um, I think that was probably one of the factors. But then also the, you know, the, the pay in the industry has, you know, changed a lot of, there's a lot of companies out there that, you know, still want to pay kind of, you know, minimum wage for trimmers. And although some people think that it's, you know, a very easy task, you know, it could be difficult. It could be difficult to, to you know, to meet production goals, quality. And, you know, I, I have a very, you know, I demand a lot of, out of my employees also, you know, I, I expect not just, you know, a good service, but also, you know, to be professional, to have good customer service, we're inside of their house. And so a lot of my clients have found it difficult to, to staff. Also, you know, a lot of the outdoor clients, sometimes they'll get a big rush of, of staff, but then they kind of go away, you know, mm -hmm. people that come in around, you know, seasonally. So um, it is hard. And it's also hard because at times they might need people that come in temporarily. Like I said, I have, you know, there's some smaller clients that they might need staff for about 30 days. And if they hire someone for 30 days, the likelihood of that person coming back again when they need them next time, they might have moved on to another job. A lot of times people, it leads them over to kind of staffing agencies. And I like to stay away from, from you know, represent or putting ourselves out there as a staffing agency, um, only because a lot of times that's kind of a stepping stone kind of in between jobs. Mm -hmm. And this isn't a stepping stone. We're not like a temp agency at all. We're a service provider. This is what my staff does. They do this full time. Um, a lot of my employees have been with me, you know, for a couple of years. And so this is their trade. This is their profession. This is what they love to do. And I don't pay them. I actually do give bonuses based on production. So my, my high producers definitely like to work for their bonuses. So because we still have that incentive and, and we move around, I think the, um, the, the staffing part of it, I think it's almost like a no brainer for a lot of my, my clients because they're like, oh, you bring them in, we don't have to deal with them and they already know what they're doing. And we don't have to worry about, you know, if we can get those, those same people again. So that's staffing issue, you know, it, it has changed over the last year and it's for, for, you know, like I said, for a variety of reasons. Well, it's not, to me, it sounds like you're not so much a staffing company. You're more of like a outsourced quality control and quality assurance company. We are definitely. So from the, when I first started this years ago, we were just, you know, we would just do trimming. We would go out there, we would trim and then we would leave. And uh, my, my, I have a corporate background. I actually have a, a QA background. I used to work for JP Morgan Chase. And so I was, you know, in charge of, you know, making sure we had checks and balances for everything. Mm -hmm. So I started to put into play a lot of those practices into this business. And I learned that, you know, accountability is extremely important. And so we didn't just come in and, and, and just, we're not just bodies. We actually manage the process. You know, we manage, it's almost like a project. There are some larger clients that they have their own, you know, harvest manager and they have people in place and they make sure that everything is accounted for so that everything feeds into metric. And then I have smaller clients that don't necessarily have, you know, everyone's kind of wearing a bunch of different hats. So we come in and we provide as, as little or as much support as they need from us. So we have, you know, very detailed, you know, logs. We have, you know, a, a sign off that happens between the client, supervisor and ours. And so we kind of manage the whole process so that everything is accounted for. The quality standards are there. When I send out a team, they know exactly what the standards are, how much they're supposed to produce per day. You know, they, they know what the expectations are so that, you know, the client isn't coming in like, okay, how much did they do today? You know, they don't, they, they have the peace of mind of knowing, you know, that, that we have all of these standards set in place so that when we come in, we do a good job and, and they're happy. Uh, what tools are your staff bringing with them on site? We try to bring as little as possible only because there's, 
there's always the concern of, you know, cross-contamination between other clients. But really, the only thing that we bring in is just the scissors. The orange chikamasas is pretty much the only thing in, um, in scissor sharpeners. Um, we have some, some clients that are a little bit smaller where we bring, you know, extra stuff if we need to. We always like to keep extra, you know, face masks and gloves on hand. The PPE is super, super important right now. And I know that it's, you know, hard to get at times. So we always try to keep extra, you know, stuff on hand. I have my field manager has them. I have them in my car because, you know, we don't want the, the, the job to stop for the sake of not having, you know, their gear. But really the only thing that we try to bring is just the scissors. The client provides everything else. We're only as good as our tools. <laughs> well, to that point, what are your thoughts of some of the automated equipment or uh, some of the other, yeah, like high tech solutions that are out there? Uh, how does your work compare to some of those solutions? Um, well, there's definitely, you know, the, the machines definitely produce a lot. There's there's a lot of more output from a quality perspective. You know, I'm a little traditional, come from the traditional market. And so um, if you were to ever, you know, I, I still have my little loop that I take around. If you were to look at a bud machine trim versus hand trim, you know, you could see that all the heads and the trichomes are still intact. And I don't know that people look at that when they pull it out of the jar before they smoke it. But, you know, we really take pride in what we do. And so although the machines definitely have a purpose and they pump out a lot of, you know, a lot of buds, I think, you know, quality wise, um, we actually have a, a couple of really big clients that they came from, you know, real estate and they bought this this you know cultivation center and they bought all these really expensive machines and then they hired us to come in and I said I've seen these beautiful machines there did you ever imagine having to hire us and he said you know it just didn't look as good without the final touches of, of a hand trim so I think there's a place for for the machines um, I, I also kind of re- uh, compare it to the wine industry you know here in California where I'm just you know really close to, to Napa here and the machines became a really big part of you know picking the grapes but then the machines kind of grabbed a lot of other stems and stones and, and rodents and stuff. And so it's not as clean and as tidy as, you know, the hand picking of grapes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just kind of a, a comparison kind of industry to industry. But I think, you know, I prefer when it comes to the trimming, I prefer 100%, you know, hand trimming. We do have um, some clients that just use the machine sorters. Mm-hmm. And then we come in and, and do the touch up. Can you look at a product and tell whether or not it was hand trimmed? Sometimes I can. Yeah. If I were to take my loop, if I see a couple of buds, sometimes, you know, we have some trimmers that are just really rough, not mine because I, I'm, I'm a real, you know, real strict with them, but sometimes you can tell at the, bud if there's, you know, scissor marks on the side, a lot of times they're taking the trichomes off too. But if you, if we tumble it all times, you definitely can tell when the heads have been um, kind of tumbled off and then you can still see a little bit of the leaves you know, kind of curled into the bud, we'll be able to, to tell. So I can personally tell a lot of times when it's been machine trimmed. Yes. So from JP Morgan to owning your own business in the cannabis industry, how did that happen? Well, actually it was actually Washington mutual and it, there was a big merger. And after that uh, they moved a lot of stuff back over to Ohio and it was either jump back into the, to, to the, I was a project manager, either jump back in or kind of do my own thing. And so uh, my husband was actually a grower. He, he grew up on a farm. And so he got into the, you know, cannabis industry and that's a whole nother story, but I was actually extremely afraid of cannabis because I grew up in a family where, you know, weed and heroin were the same. <laughs> yeah. And so I was terrified. So when I met him, he kind of introduced me to it. And then and then I learned to love it. And I learned the medicinal benefits because I have the worst insomnia. And so I started to use the tinctures and it was just, a you know, a game changer for me. And so we, we partnered up. And so I, I was in charge of the harvest and we kind of did that on our spare time and helping friends out that had, you know, you know, little grows. 
And when they finally finished moving the, the whole corporate office, I, you know, I had downtime and I said, what do I want to do? I'm like, I think I want to pursue this full time. And I started the LLC. I believe it was back in 16 or 17. I actually started the LLC and decided to set it up as an actual, you know, entity and service provider and go after all of the, the licensed clients to help them. So have you gotten over that yet? Like, even though you've been involved in the industry for, you know, uh, five or six years now, growing up thinking cannabis and heroin are the same. Have you been able to get over that where if you pass it and you can smell it, you're just like, Oh, bad. Oh wait, no, actually good. Have you gotten over that yet? No, I still, I still sometimes, even when I come home, you know, with my kids, it was always, you know, they could never know that, you know, that, that we were doing this. And so I still kind of catch myself sometimes, or even my kids, they know that, you know, they know that we're in the, in the industry. My kids are 18 and 23, but sometimes they're like, mom, I can smell it. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like, well, it's legal now. <laughs> so, yeah, no, we, it, it's still, um, I, I got actually got pulled over yesterday and, um, and I had some of our scissors just in a little box, but sometimes they tend to smell. And I was mortified for a second because I thought, oh my God, they're going to think that, you know, and it was just a scissors, but I was, it was like that instant, like, oh my God. And I'm like, oh wait, it's legal. And it's only scissors. <laughs> True. It's just like, we just need to clean the product. Nothing else going on. Yeah. But you know, um, when it's been years and years and years of, of the opposite, it does take a while. And even sometimes when I post stuff on my social media, on my personal one, it's kind of like, oh, what are they going to think of me? I'm like, wait a minute. No, this is, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you had, uh, you know, I've talked to some companies that have had, because even though it is illegal state-wise, you know, federally, they've run into some trouble with banking and their accounts, stuff like that. Have you had, run into any trouble about your, you know, your accounts getting shut down or anything like that? No, I haven't. Um, I actually, as part of my my presentation, I have a presentation binder. And one of the things that I, I received is I made sure that I had an email from our local, you know, from our California agencies here that said that I'm considered, you know, an ancillary business. So I'm technically not a cannabis business because I'm mobile. I don't take possession of it. I don't move it. I just provide a service. So because I actually have an email printed out from them that says that I'm ancillary, I haven't had any of my, my banks shut down, thankfully. Okay. Uh, when you start with a client's uh, what does the initial consultation look like? And have you ever turned down business? Uh, I have turned down business. My, so my initial, you know, we, we start with the phone call. A lot of times it's Zoom. And then my initial one is I like to do a site visit and I call it an intake. Uh, and I do that for various reasons. One is, you know, I want to make sure last year was a little bit uh, difficult, maybe the year before, because a lot of people were transitioning and, and, you know, with the temporary permits and they were under construction. So a lot of it had to do with safety, making sure that uh, there wasn't a big hole in the floor. I did actually have someone trip over and break a rib one time. And so that's when I started this intake process because a lot of them were under construction and the trim rooms were kind of set up as these temporary rooms. So the intake is really a site visit. And I have a sheet that I do where, you know, is there a break room? You know, there's labor laws now. Is there a break room? Is it temperature controlled? Do you have restrooms? Uh, and then I talk to the client and we check out the facility. So what are your expectations? Where are things located? Are there any do not cross zones? What are your SOPs? And try to figure out how to kind of, you know, mirror the two just to say, okay, are we doing anything that that compromises what you're doing or, or vice versa? And then we kind of share best practices. And so we sit down and kind of figure it out. A lot of times, the very first time that we have a client, we kind of just chill and we sit back and watch how they do things. 
because I don't want to come in and, you know, tell them like, this is how you should be doing things. You're doing it all wrong. <laughs> They're not going to want to use me, you know? So yeah. we come in and then once we kind of see, we say, you know what, if you were to tweak this, have you ever thought about doing that? And so sometimes we'll share best practices and kind of help them, you know, kind of fine tune their process. But, you know, in the beginning, it's more of, like I said, like the security check, what are their expectations of us? And then whenever I send a crew out, I send them out with a supervisor and I make sure that that supervisor knows exactly what the goal is. You know, what are the do's and don'ts? any additional SOPs, like some places we have to change into full on scrubs and hair nets and beard nets. Other places are a little more relaxed. You can be in your plain clothes, but hair nets, beard nets, gloves, all that kind of stuff. And so it changes from site to site. So it's good to have that intake sheet ready for the next time. So the supervisor has a refresher of, oh, okay, this is how it's going to go down for this particular client. Why have you turned down business? Uh, sometimes we turn down business if the facility, um, uh, is a fire trap. <laughs> if it's just not, <laughs> if it's just not safe. Yeah. Um, I've turned down business. Gosh, I don't know how much into detail I can go uh, where someone has said, you know, I want, I want to, I want you to bring your team and you know, the guys are really rough on the bus. So can you bring all women? And by the way, no cell phones and we're up in the mountains. I'm like, I don't know. This just doesn't sound appealing to me. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to bring a van full of women with no communication into the mountains. Yeah, right. I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know. That just doesn't sound very, you know, safe to me, but there's been a variety of reasons. A lot of times also it, it's, it's growing pain. Sometimes it takes a, a while for a client to really get it and get a good harvest. And because, you know, we want to make sure I, you know, I, I like to pay my, my employees bonuses. They really look forward to those bonuses. If we have a client that's just consistently kind of lacking in quality, a lot of times they just have, they go through growers left and right, left and right. And that really, you know, it, it leads to inconsistencies in the product. And so it makes it really difficult for my, you know, for my employees to reach their bonuses or, you know, there's just a lot of inconsistencies. So, you know, sometimes we have, it's rare, but we have turned down business. Are you typically working at a dispensary? What part of the supply chain are you guys typically operating in? Typically we're at a cultivation site. We do have okay. some that are, you know, integrated. And so we, they, they might have a dispensary attached to it. Yeah. Uh, distribution centers also, we come in and we help them do just packaging, labeling, you know, a little bit of pre-rolls. So the bulk of our clients are cultivators. Some of them are with the dispensaries. And then the other half I would say is just the, uh, the distribution centers. What is the smallest harvest that you've ever worked on? And what is the largest? Smallest harvest, probably about 12 pounds. Mm-hmm. And the largest, and and it, again, this is kind of someone that was relatively new new at it, and I think they thought they were going to get twenty or twenty five pounds, and it ended up being a lot less. You know, the product, the, the quality wasn't you know as great. The largest one, it's hard to tell, but um, Kaliva here in, in San Jose, they're one of my largest clients that I've had for the longest time, and they have you know um, they they harvest I believe weekly or every two weeks, and so having that, we initially got a five hundred pound contract, and then they extended it another five hundred pounds, and then we just kept going and I ended up having a team of 10 people there for about a solid eight months. So we'll just kind of renew it. And every time we're getting close to it, like, okay, do you guys want us to stop? And, and my, my team's used to working side by side with, with in-house. So we have some clients where we are their harvest team. We do a hundred percent of the trimming and then others, when they just call us, when they have a larger than normal harvest or they have a, you know, a bottleneck. And so, you know, 500 pounds, I would say, you know, in, in a contract, although we did renew it a bunch of times. Uh, for 500 pounds, you know, how long would that take you to work on? 500 pounds. If I'm able to get a whole staff in, I would say about probably two to three weeks. Okay. And a full staff is like 20 people you said? Yes. 
Okay. Um, have you ever been at a cultivation site and you're processing uh, material and you have to tell them, like, I don't think you can sell this? <laughs> I have, yes. And yeah. actually, I have had situations where it's a plant and sometimes, you know, a little bit of mold, a bug here and there isn't a, a big deal. But that's another thing that I train the supervisors to, you know, raise your hand if you see mold. Let me decide at what point we're going to pull the plug. We've had situations where it, it's it's quite moldy. And not only is it a risk to my staff, but I don't even recommend it being sold. And so, you know, I make the recommendation, but, at, you know, there have been times when I pulled the plug on my staff and I've had to cancel because I don't even want my staff exposed to it. You know, mold is, is a huge issue. So, yes, there's just definitely times. Wow. That's I mean. I've heard of some, uh, you know, crops that have gone bad and it can just be devastating. It, right. Yeah, it has. And a lot of times, you know, we also, we own an air conditioning business also. So a lot of times we go in there and help them tweak oh. their, you know, their, the humidity levels or the air conditionings that we recommend putting up a mini split or something. And sometimes, you know, if they can't get the temperature control just right, it can over dry it because they think, oh, it, the job is done once we cut it down and we're hanging it up and we're drying it. Well, if you don't control the temperature and the humidity, if you're just putting it in a barn, a lot of times it'll suffer. And so by the time I get to it, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty dry. And I already know as, as soon as we start to move that around and manipulate it, it's just going to turn to dust. And so I don't even want to attempt to try to trim it because it's, their yield is going to be next to nothing. They would probably be better off just sending it to, to extract. Um, you had mentioned some of the problems that your clients have had with staffing. Have you had similar problems and, you know, how have you sort of adjusted course to try and make sure they don't happen going forward? I have had staff, just like any other business, I, you know, I do have staffing issues a lot of times when, uh, when COVID first hit and everyone was just like, you know what, if we touch the same table, we're going to catch it. Oh, and everyone yeah. was you know, afraid. Um, the way that I tackled it is just kind of from a rolling up my sleeves, sleeves and, being a good leader. And I actually, we were working um, in a facility in Oakland and it's a really big job and we didn't have too much trim work, but they asked us if we could come in and help them de-leaf in the garden. And I put scrubs on and rolled up my sleeves and I was in there helping them de-leaf in the garden. And I went and got them lunch and, you know, just kind of trying to build up their morale and said, look, I'm out here just as much as you are. And I'm, I wouldn't send you somewhere that I wouldn't be willing to work myself. And so that whole week I worked side by side with my staff so that they felt supported. And, and I knew that it was safe also. I wanted to kind of keep my eye and make sure that the environment was good because it was so new. We didn't really know, you know, how to handle everything. And so now we've got, you know, things, things in place, but we, I, I did, you know, I did suffer a little bit up until the time where they decided that we were an essential business. Everyone was kind of like, you know, I don't know if I want to go back to work. And then, uh, and then from there, you know, everyone started to come back to work. So there was a, there was a little bit of attrition, you know, because of COVID, but um, I think it's probably just regular attrition. Sometimes people, they, they want to do this for a little bit. Some people come and they do this and they find that it's just way too hard to sit for eight hours and, and, and trim all day. You know, it's just, it's yeah. boring. Do you, uh, yeah, I, uh, I worked in sorting through college in a manufacturing facility, so I get it. It's like the same part for 12 hours, huh? Great. Great. Um, so, um, but I don't know, I guess at least your workers get to travel, you know, or, uh, see different facilities. They do. They do. I think that's one of the things, you know, some people like it and some people don't, 
they get to travel to different facilities. You know, we have an online scheduling system. So every week when we post the schedule, they see where they're working, they see who their team members are, who they're working with, and, and they like to move around. And then we have others that they don't want to move around so much. You know, sometimes they have to use public transportation is not as easy for them to get around. And, and I actually have really good relationships with, with most of my clients. And, and I tell my staff, I want everyone to, to be in their happy place. So if there's something that I can do, a lot of times they'll see job listings with one of my clients. Let's have the conversation, you know? And so we do direct hires a lot of times. Sometimes my client's like, hey, I really like this guy. He is so good in the garden. Would you mind if we hired him on directly? We have a process for that. We just, you know, we charge a small fee, they absorb them. And then, you know, it, it, it helps keep a relationship strong as well, because they know that I gave them a solid worker and they continue to use us for all the other services, but we have both. So they, some people just love, you know, moving around and not having the same stagnant space to work in. And other people are looking for something that's a little more stable. That's really cool. That seems like, I mean, it kind of speaks to the collaborative nature of the industry, really. Yeah. And one of the things that that just kind of came to mind also, you know, speaking of attrition, when, when COVID hit, we had a lot of, a lot of clients that just kind of were losing people or they just kind of their operations were on hold. And then I had other clients that continued going. And so what I did is I said, look, I will absorb your staff temporarily. So you don't lose them. I'll keep them working. I'll put them on my payroll when you're ready to take them back and you're up and running again and you kind of figure things out we'll go ahead and release them back to you and they can continue. So it was almost like a temp agency situation. And so I kept their employees and kept them working so that they didn't lose any pay until they were ready to take them back. And then they went back and started working for them. I had a client in San Francisco where we worked that out. That way they weren't afraid that they weren't going to be able to get their same staff back. That's, that's really cool. That's, I mean, and that's just great that you were able to provide that opportunity. Yeah. It's um, just, you know, that's what I say, if, the, if you have, talk to me, let's get creative, let's figure right. it out. And I think that's kind of part of the, one of the things that I kind of miss that's changed a little bit. is just the community of, mm-hmm. of the, of the industry, you know, it's gotten very, very corporate and you know, that's, you know, it, it pros and cons, but I think the community part of it, like, what do you need? What can I do to help you? What can I do to make your life easier? If you're struggling, let, let's share, let's figure this out. So I really try to work, you know, closely with my clients to, to see how we could figure things out. And I said, you know, well, let's brainstorm. And that was kind of something that it just kind of, you know, came out of nowhere because talking to a client, she's, she mentioned that I'm just afraid that I'm not going to be able to get my staff back. Uh, do you only work in California currently? Currently we do. Yes. I actually have a, a, a client that I consulted with in Canada. So I do a little bit of consulting when they, they're not really sure about their processes. I have a very, very dialed in process where we're, we're accountable for every gram. It protects me, but the client as well, but we have thought about expanding to other States or, or possibly franchising. One of our, our, our things that we say is we're kind of like the Molly maids of weed. You call us and <laughs> the team comes in, we clean it up. We do our job until the next time. And yeah. there's out there everywhere there's a lot of trim teams out there and a lot of them you know aren't aren't legal but they've got the skill set so if we can you know bring them on under our business model and you know kind of 1099 them, but bring them on show them how we do things and they could follow all of our policies then we want to continue to grow and we have actually had um, conversations with someone in in oklahoma uh that is you know asking us to kind of come out and and check out the scene and and expand into other other states so those are very exciting conversations and I'm, i'm very interested in expanding how does the trimming process change based on the different climates and areas that you're in? The trim process, you know, it doesn't change a whole lot. Um, for us, when we go to a facility, the, it really doesn't change a whole lot. Everything, you know, from, from the point that we get it and we trim it, I would say maybe the density of it is a little bit different, the indoor versus outdoor. 
we had some clients down in the desert and, and, you know, they have, it's indoor and it's air conditioning. So I don't think it changes very much as, 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 you know, here in California, at least. Okay. Um, I don't want to kind of gloss over some of the other, uh, services that you provide, uh, such as you'd mentioned bucking packaging. Um, could you talk a little bit about those services and sort of what that looks like when you go into a facility? Yeah. So a lot of times when we go in, they have, you know, everything's kind of hanging and it needs to get bucked down, taken off the stem. And if you, you know, time is of the essence in when, when you have everything drying and it's ready, you want to get it into sealed containers, you know, as soon as possible and, and, and then get it to over to carrying. So sometimes people just don't have the manpower. If you have, you know, 200 pounds hanging and you've got a schedule to come in and start trimming, then, you know, it's got to get bucked down. And if they don't have the manpower to do it, then I bring in my crew. And again, I like to have metrics for everything. So I know if you're bucking down these plants at the very minimum, you should do about, you know, 5,000 grams a day is the minimum. My mom's almost 70 and I brought her into the business, my parents, and she does about 8,000 herself. So if this woman can do that, I'm sure these youngsters can do it. But we, I have metrics for everything. Sometimes, you know, we change it a little bit depending on the facility and, and just kind of the logistics of things. But I like to come in with metrics. So sometimes we come in, we buck it all down. And I have, you know, buckers and my trimmers. Sometimes I kind of use them, you know, I interchange them. But I have people that specifically just do bucking. They might not have been great trimmers. They couldn't meet our production standards. Quality was beautiful, could meet our production standards. But their work ethic was great. And they're great team players, you know. And I always tell people, I can teach you weed, but I can't teach you to get to work on time. So you know, we've held on to those people and that's how we kind of develop. Well, you know what? You're great at bucking. Let's put you at bucking. This is what you need to get, you know, at bucking. And then from there, they also do packaging. So, you know, the trimmers are done trimming it. Sometimes we do it at the same facility and sometimes this product gets moved over to a different, to like a distribution center. And then we go there and partner with the distribution center and send in the staff to get it put into jars and labeled and, and put into all the packaging before it heads over to the dispensary. We also do some deleafing. You know, we've kind of tried to, once you build up that trust in that relationship with the client, we kind of want it to be a one-stop shop where they can call us for whatever their needs inside the garden were. And, and, you know, as we're building that, that way, I don't have like, I'm going to call so-and-so for this and call this other company for that. Or let me find a friend to see if my buddy can help me. You know, you get one invoice, you get one team, you have one person to deal with. So you had mentioned that your workers can work for bonuses. Uh, what does that bonus structure look like? It actually depends on the product. So sometimes the bonus structure, it's by, it's by the pound. So sometimes the bonus can be, you know, $100 a pound. Sometimes it can be as, as much as $150 a pound. It just depends on, on how much it's cleaned up and how, um, if it's bucked down or not. And I determined that sometimes it's contract by contract. And when I go and I take a look at what the harvest is, okay, this is what it looks like. Okay. And then I set the bonus amount. And so what they do is they get paid hourly. And then the bonus is based on, on the product. So it looks like you continue to expand into different processes and you continue to grow. Uh, what's next for your company? Next, we, we have some requests for, for bud tenders. And although I would like to support them in that, it's um, the customer service and, and consumer facing is, is a little bit different. I used to run a call center and, and do the scripting and all of that. And so consumer facing is a little bit different, but expanding is definitely the, the next thing that we're looking at. We're getting called further and further out. And um, actually, we're, we're, we just applied for our processing license here in California a couple of months ago here in, in our city. And this month, they're supposed to determine, you know, who's going to get the, the, the permits here for everything. They're just, it's brand new. They just opened it up. And so the goal is to open up a 10,000 square foot processing center where I can bring the product in. I can control the environment and I could, you know, set all my SOPs. 
and we have some clients that have, that have called, they might be up in the mountains and they have, you know, all of this stuff that needs to get processed because of the way the property is zoned. They can't even bucket on the property. Mm -hmm. They can't put a structure on their hill to bring in, you know, employees to do it. So they're not even allowed to do that. So they're forced to outsource it. So as that's, you know, and, and also there's a lot of people that are coming from other industries where outsourcing is normal. You know, you don't have to keep, you don't have to keep an eye on your, on your crop hundred percent of the time. And, and so they're like, okay, you know what, we'll go ahead and they've, they've already trust me. They know how I, how I run my, my show. And so bringing it over to a warehouse means they can increase their canopy size and reduce their trim room size if they can outsource it. So that's, that's the next thing we're hoping to find out this month. We're not, we're going to say when, not if we get our, our processing, um, center license will be up and running. Hopefully in the next year, we can set up that warehouse. So I'm super, super excited because then we can offer, offer services, you know, at either their location or at ours. Talking about regulations in the state, what are some of your predictions in terms of the evolving regulations in the state and, you know, uh, federal legalization? Well, we're all looking, we're all hoping for federal legalization. I think it's just going to open up so many doors and, and take away, you know, a lot of headaches. I don't know what I don't know what to make of how things are changing. I think they've made the regulations just so tight here in California that it's it's making it really difficult, you know, for a lot of people to operate and it's frustrating a lot of people. I'm really hoping that there's going to be a little bit of a loosening of some of those regulations because there's other industries and there's other places that don't they don't have to jump through as many hoops as we have to jump through to make it. And one of the examples is, you know, I was in a clubhouse room the other night we were talking and they were saying, I can't even, if I have my processing center, I can't bring hemp CBD on my property if I'm doing cannabis. That has to be on a completely separate, you know, property. So it's stuff like that. It's the same process. It's still a plant. Why do we have to have such strict regulations? So I'm hoping that they'll ease up a little bit on the regulations such as those so that, you know, we can, more of us can work together. Right. Uh, is there anything in particular or uh, anything that we might have left out that, you know, you want to make sure that the cannabis equipment news audience uh, knows about high trim or high maintenance trim? Well, hopefully we'll be expanding over into other states. But uh, yeah. no, I think we covered just about everything. I'm really excited. And thank you so much for having me. It was really nice chatting with you and, and kind of getting a lot of people. Like I said, a lot of people don't know that we're out there and we're the, we're the, the business that you didn't know you needed. You know, we, we try to save people time and money just by coming in efficiently and doing a good job and getting out of your way until the next time you need us. And so we're, you know, we're really here just to help. Thank you so much. No, uh, thank you, Bella. I mean, one of the things that I found so encouraging is just your passion about the industry. And I think it's really infectious. And I think, you know, that's why it's, uh, you have such a, you know, loyal group of customers and employees. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, um, thank you very much for taking the time and, uh, hope we get to talk to you again soon.